0: The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. They're going to fail you, but I'm going to offer you something that will never fail you. And that's what this morning is all about. This morning is an invitation to something better. Now, let me just say this on the outset because we got to set a little bit of context. So in the New Testament, it's really easy to understand what to believe because the New Testament tells us a lot of information. So we think about like verses in the New Testament, we get verses like, Love is patient. Love is kind. God so loved the world that he gave. That's information. We know what to do with that. Got it. Bingo. The Old Testament's a little more tricky because in the Old Testament, God just doesn't tell us information in the Old Testament, God shows us information. The Old Testament is theology in action. And today, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing what it looks like when we trust false saviors and we follow them down that road. We're seeing where that road leads. This passage isn't just informational. It's not just, hey, here's some cool facts about David. Hey, have a good lunch. What this passage is, is it's, it's a chance for all of us to say, what am I hoping for? What do, I, what do I live for? What am I trusting to get me through the day? And then it's an invitation to say, hey, I actually have something better for you. So please, as we read this passage, know those things. But all right, got to do a little bit more background because we're walking into the movie halfway through. Everybody's eating their popcorn. We're halfway through the story. So just so you understand the story, I need to tell you a little bit about David's life. So if you've been with us any time at Story City, you've probably heard this phrase. The Bible is a story. It's one story. It's telling about how everything was perfect. We were in the garden with God. There was no depression, no anxiety. There was no relational tension. People had a perfect relationship with God and each other. But sin caused everything to fly off the rails, okay? But as soon as man sinned and everything flies off the rails, God doesn't just shut up shop, okay? Was that a word? Did I just say anything? Shut up shop. Hang on. Right. whoo. God doesn't just close down a shop. He sets a plan into motion. And that plan, he tells Eve, he says, hey, I'm going to send to you a Savior who's going to fix this whole mess. And as God's plan starts to unfold, we learn really quickly that that Savior isn't just any person. He's actually a king. So God tells Abraham and Sarah, he says, hey, you're going to give birth to the, the person who's going to set everything in right. You're also going to give birth to many kings. God tells, uh, through Abraham's grandson, Jacob, as he's blessing his kids, he says, hey, the scepter or that thing that kings hold is not going to pass from the tribe of Judah until the restoration of all things comes. So right away, everybody in Israel is like, okay, who's going to set things right? We're looking for a king to set things right. And then right before we get to David, there's a book called Judges. and the book of Judges, there's a pattern. I don't know if you remember. It says, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. But there's this phrase that keeps getting repeated, and it's actually the last phrase in uh, the book of Judges, before we get introduced to David, it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. So everybody, all God's people are like, hey, this is a mess, we need to find something better that's gonna fix it. It's a king, he's coming, we're looking for him, we're looking for him. And then David shows up on the scene, and everyone's like, dude, this is our guy, he's it. He's our knight in shining armor, he's gonna take us the way. he's gonna fix this mess. And then really quickly we learn, he's not actually that guy. In the book of 2 Samuel, when God lays out what his king is going to look like, he gives a checklist. He says, my king has to be chosen by God. My king has to love my word, and my king can't multiply three things. He can't have a lot of gold, he can't have a huge army, and he can't have a, wait, gold, horses, and wives. He can't have a lot of wives. So, David shows up on the scene. He's from the tribe of Judah. Oh, whoa, check. He fits that spot. He was chosen by God. If you remember, uh, he was a scrawny little kid. No one wanted him to be king, and it's like, hey, that's the guy that's going to be your king. Check. Actually, as he shows up on the scene, he's introduced as a guy who loved God's word. So you think about the story of David and Goliath. Some people think it's just like, hey, slay your giants. But what's actually going on in David and Goliath is David, Goliath is blaspheming God and the nation of Israel. And David takes the Bible so seriously, he's like, hey, guys, we got to take this guy out. So he, it's, wow, here's our guy. It's him. But as the book starts to unfold, this is what happens. The book starts out and uh, David becomes king, and a lot of awesome things happen. He unites a divided kingdom, he moves the capital from Hebron to Jerusalem, and then he brings the Ark of the Covenant, or the sign of God's blessing, into that capital city, Jerusalem. And everybody's like, dude, it's him. I'm telling you, it's him. But all along the way, we get these hints, it's not him. And here's what it is. 2 Samuel 2, when David goes to Hebron, he takes his two wives. Okay, you know what? I know that's not right. You know, nobody's perfect, he's got these two wives, but come on, like, this is the ancient Near East, all kings have a bunch of wives, let's let this one slide. All right, we get to chapter three, what happens? He doesn't have two wives anymore, he's got six wives, and by the time we get to chapter five, the text stops counting. It just says, David added to himself many wives. So this text right here is really written for the people who are like, yeah, but you know, I think it could be him, I think it could be him, and then if you... You know the move, you know, you know what happens. He saw her bathing on the roof. But your faith is strong, but you needed proof. He saw her bathing on the roof. Her beauty in the moonlight overthrew you. She tied you to the kitchen chair. She broke your throne and she cut your hair, and from your lips she drew the hallelujah. That's the story. David sees a beautiful woman bathing on the roof. He sleeps with her, and then he kills her husband. And this would have been a colossal bubble bursting in the face of the people reading this text. This is the guy they wanted to ride off into the sunset with, but instead he took the school bus and he drove it off the cliff. (laughs) I'm here all week, thank you. That was really, that was nice. All right, that's where our story comes in. This is a story about a counterfeit savior and how he's letting us down. So let's read. I'm I'm gonna read 2 Samuel 11. I'm gonna go all the way to verse 15. It's gonna be on the screens if you um, didn't bring a Bible. Here we go. In the spring of that year, The time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites, and they besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon, when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a a beautiful woman bathing. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and said, isn't that Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now, he had been, now she had been purifying herself from uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. And David sent to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked Joab, how, he, how's, how are you doing? How's Joab doing? How's the people doing? How's the war going? Then David said to Uriah, "'Hey, go down to your house, wash your feet.' So Uriah went out of the king's presence, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah didn't go down to his house, David said to Uriah, "'Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house?' Uriah said to David, "'The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field.' Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went outside to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord. But he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. So we see this story and we know it. And I want to just be clear from the outset. I don't believe that this story of the fall of Israel's greatest hero is in the Bible just so we can have the application don't commit adultery. Oh, and if you do commit adultery, definitely don't kill your lover's spouse. Listen, those are great life principles to live by. Like, I am not going to argue with those things, okay? But what this text is, is this text that we just read is an invitation to see better saviors. So this text is God trying to get our hold of us and say, hey, you've set up these saviors for you, and they're going to fail you. Look Look how David, with his great resume, failed you. We all trust things. Every single one of us in this room, we have a reason for getting up in the morning. And when we we can take good things, good things that God loves, and we can move God out of the center of our lives and place those things there. And those things become our counterfeit saviors. And this text is asking us, how's that going? This This is what's ahead of you if you keep that. So in order to turn to something better, we need to see three things in this text. First, we need to see how our counterfeit saviors fail us we're going to do that as we follow David's story. We're going to let the, see how our counterfeit saviors let us down. And then after our eyes have been opened to how our counterfeit saviors let us down, we need to receive the grace that is offered to us that will never let us down. And then once we receive that grace, we invite others into that grace. So that's where we're going this morning as we read this text, okay? So let's first try to see how counterfeit saviors let us down. So this chapter starts is by saying in the spring of that year when the kings go out to battle, David didn't. He stayed home. And we can kind of really gloss over that and be like, oh, interesting. But that would have been really colossal to these people. And the only way I can really think to explain that is, do any of you have a college football fan in your life? Okay. So, you know how Saturdays go in the life of a college football fan. I'm not a big college football fan, I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, but there I have a couple college football fans in my life and I know how Saturdays are at their house. Lock the door, shut the blinds, I'm throwing my phone in the toilet. Kids, fend for yourself, the game is on. We are watching our team fight for their honor against another college. Yeah, sure, we may never have heard of this college, but our school is going to crush this other school and prove we're better, okay? USC, UCLA, whoever you are, we're going to crush whoever you are. We don't care, right? And so that's what this is for them. This is, is springtime, so if you think back then, they didn't have like heaters, it, you would have lost your whole army if you go to battle in the winter, so they waited till spring, and this is their college football season. This is a chance, all right, hey guys, like we're gonna go out there and we're gonna fight. But it's also about t- people fighting for their God. So One Nation's like, hey, this is Baal, he's my God, he's a great God, he's more powerful than your God. And David's supposed to be like, you know what? is my God, I'm gonna fight you on that. And they go to battle and they're fighting for Yahweh's name. But David stays home. And that's the first thing we see about our counterfeit saviors, is that they realign your priorities. David should have been fighting for God's honor. He should have been going out and fighting Israel's enemies for the people of God, for their safety. But instead, he's like, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to sit this one out. I'm going to send my assistant. That really is the equivalent of your favorite college football coach sending his personal assistant to the Rose Bowl. Everyone has been like, whoa, David, what are you doing? Why are you staying, buddy? And we find our answer out in the very next verse. And after this drink of water. He's walking on the roof. He can't sleep. So he's walking on the roof of his house and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. The te- the, what it literally says is he sees a woman who was a, a vision of beauty and then it says, very. So it's like this, this girl is super hot. And I think as we read this text, we've kind of thought in the past that David just is like happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like he's just walking around and sees this naked woman and falls. That's actually not what's going on. So, I don't know. Has anybody in here ever lived somewhere without running water? I haven't. But if you, if you live somewhere without running water, you're not going to bathe on a roof. Like, this is an honor-shame culture. You don't want everyone seeing you naked. And besides that, you have to lug all that water up to that roof, and then when you're done bathing, you've got to lug it all back down. It's real impractical. I don't think David happened upon this. I think this is the reason he didn't go to battle. We see his counterfeit saviors, like, realigning his priorities. He's saying, guys, I should be going to war, but all throughout this book I've been multiplying wives to myself, and you said, hey, that's no problem, David, no problem. Like, you're still our guy. But now we see that blue, that grenade just blows up in his hand. He can't control his sin. And that's the second thing that our counterfeit saviors do. Our counterfeit saviors make promises they can't keep. Look at David. It's like, David, you can handle this, man. Like, yeah, sure, you're disobeying. You've got all these wives, but dude, like, it's fine. But David learns a valuable lesson. He learns that sin is fun, but it's only fun on credit. He was trying to get a weekend away with this beautiful woman, but what happens next? She gets pregnant. So, what does he do? He's like, all right, guys, this is it. He, you know what? Yeah, he messed up. He had all those wives. Sure, he messed up. I think he could still be our guy, though. I think he could still be the guy. Okay, wow, he really messed up. Don't worry, he's going to repent. He's going to turn around. He's going he's to face the music. He's going to say, hey, what I did was wrong. I'm sorry. What does he do? He tries to cover it up. And he looks like a total idiot in the process. He brings Uriah back. He's the king of Israel, and he's making small talk with a foot soldier. Hey, how's Joab? Oh, yeah, how's, how's the battle? Oh, cool. Like, it's just he just looks like a total idiot. And to tie it off, he shows that Uriah actually cares about God's things and God's business more than he does. It's totally shameful because his counterfeit idol, his counterfeit savior took him farther than he wanted to go, and it kept him longer than he wanted to stay. And that's the next thing. Our, that's how the next way our counterfeit savior lets us down. Our counterfeit savior makes us rationalize totally insane decisions. So David was supposed to be originally fighting this battle, but then what does he do? He actually, he, he sends somebody else, and then he doesn't even care about the battle. So we didn't read it, but after this, what he does is he sets Uriah to a place where there's a ton of strong people, and then he has the army back down, so Uriah dies. David kills a righteous man, but... Uriah doesn't just die. He loses a ton of people in his army. And Joab's like, oh, David's going to be so mad because this is what we're supposed to care about and we don't care about it. And so he sends a letter back to David and says, hey, we lost a bunch of people in the army. And David says, hey, you win some, you lose some. Counterfeit idols, counterfeit saviors, excuse me, make you rationalize insane decisions. So this is easily one of the biggest screw-ups in the Bible. Okay, so we see, our, our counterfeit saviors let us down, but now what? What's God going to do? What's God going to do with this colossal failure? Huh? Some of you may have this attitude and you look at God like he's just up in heaven and he's waiting for you to mess up. He's like, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. They're going to mess up. Here we go. Got him. They messed up. I'm going to get, I get joy in you're disappointing me. And some of you have been a Christian for a long time and you may not say that, but you may just feel like God is just somehow okay with you. This text takes that idea and it throws it away. It flips it on its head. Listen to how God shows up. Now, you have to listen for it because it's not blatantly obvious, and we didn't read the whole passage, so I'm sure a lot of you didn't hear it. But I'm going to read this again, and I want you to hear it, okay? Listen carefully. In the spring of that year, when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. Verse three, and David sent and inquired about the woman. Verse four, David sent messengers, and he took her. Verse 5, the woman conceived and she sent and told David. Verse 6, David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah the Hittite. Verse 14, in the morning David wrote a letter and he sent it by the hand of Uriah. Now this is chapter 12, verse 1. Listen to this. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Do you hear that? David sent, David sent, David sent, David sent. The Lord sent God uses David's scheming and David's scandal as a means of David's redemption. That's what this text is saying. This text is saying, hey, our counterfeit saviors, they let us down. They take us into this gutter and they leave us there. And God meets us in the gutter. Because what does he do? What does God do? Okay, all right, fine. God sent Nathan to David, but now what does he do? This is important, because this is all of us. All of us are in this passage saying, all right, if this is how God treats a big screw-up, what's he going to do with me? How's he going to treat me? He tells them a story. He says, hey, there's a rich guy, and there's a poor guy. And the poor guy has this one little sheep, and they love it. The family, they, it's like a pet to them. They keep it inside. It sleeps in their bed at night. They totally love this little sheep. It's so cute. It's soft. They love it. There's a rich guy. He's got a ton of sheep. The rich guy has a friend come into town. And he wants to feed the friend, so he goes to the poor guy, kills his sheep, and feeds it to his friend, even though he has a ton of sheep. And David hears that story, and he's outraged. He's like, what? No, 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 this is wrong. This is not right. That guy deserves to be punished. And Nathan looks at him, and he says, David, you're that guy. You hear that, though? God doesn't come bashing heads. God comes, and he engages David. He tells him a story. It's so like he gets down on his hands and knees, and he speaks David's language. That's how God treats us. Some of you may have this attitude of like, you know what, I'm a huge screw-up. You you don't know me, dude. Like, I've done a ton of terrible stuff in my life. Sure, maybe you have. I don't know you. But look it. if this is how God treats the biggest screw-up in Scripture, by a guy who definitely should have known better. This guy wrote so much of the Bible, okay? He knew this was wrong. There's no doubt. This guy knew, knew better. How's God gonna treat you? He comes to you in grace and he's saying, receive this grace. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. Like we don't have a God who says, hey, get this right, get it together, come back and see me in the morning. God comes to us and he meets us. Our counterfeit saviors that we set up, whatever it is for you, whether it's making a ton of money, whether it's having a lot of friends, whether it's having a great identity, whatever counterfeit savior that you've moved to the center of your life that you say, this thing is gonna make me happy, this thing is gonna make me whole, that thing is gonna lead you into a dumpster fire, okay? And we've seen that really clearly. But God meets us there and he says, hey, take something better. I have something better. What is that thing that's better? It's not a thing. It's a person. God offers us his son, Jesus. Everyone thought that David was going to ride into the sunset with them, but instead, they didn't. What about Jesus? How 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 does he fix this? Christmas is kind of coming up. Have you guys ever wondered why Jesus was born in Bethlehem? So, Jesus is king, we say that, he's the king of kings, he's the Lord of lords. Why wasn't he born in Jerusalem? That's where kings are born, there's a palace in Jerusalem, he definitely could have been born there, why not? Jesus went to Bethlehem, because Bethlehem is the city of David. Jesus shows up on the scene and says, hey guys, I'm the new and better David. You thought you'd ride off in the sunset with him? Ride off in the sunset with me. When David faced temptation, David gave in. When Jesus faced temptation, Jesus stared the devil in the face and he didn't even flinch. When David was supposed to go off to battle and to fight for Israel, he stayed home and he slept with another guy's wife. But Jesus, Jesus went to battle for you. How did he go to battle for you? He took on your greatest enemy, sin and death, and he beat it. That's what's being offered to us. You know what the New Testament says again and again and again about Jesus? It says this, it says, those who hope in him will not be put to shame. Your counterfeit saviors, they're going to end in shame. But you have, you have this offer of a savior who if you hope in him, you don't have to experience that shame anymore. That's what this text is about. It's about a trade. Why don't we trade our false saviors for a savior who won't ever let us down? You know, and that moves us into my last point. You know, I wonder what it would look like as a church if we really believed that. If we really believed that we had our counterfeit saviors and those things let us down, but in the midst of our screw-up and when we've, we've messed it up the most, God comes to us in grace, what would that look like if we were a people who collectively believed that? Well, I think it would look a lot actually like how David looks. So David repents. There's still consequences for his sin, but he turns from his sin, and he actually writes a song about it. Some of you know that song. It's probably uh, been helpful for you in your own walk as you repent of sin, but it's Psalm 51. And listen to how that song, what it says. This is what it says here, right here. David, after he's talked about repentance and turning from God and asking for mercy, he says this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me within me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. If we really believe this as a church, it's going to manifest itself in compassion towards others. People who are messes that come in here, we're not going to be like, ugh, get it together. Be like me, okay? Like, you are a mess. Be like Craig Kidder, all right? Just cut it out. You're annoying. Your life is a mess. No. Instead, we're like, hey, you know what? I've had counterfeit saviors, and they've let me down. And you know what? God met me in that disappointment, and he restored me. So when people come in here, we look at them with compassion. We don't just say like, get it together and then come back and God will love you. We say no. God loves you as the mess that you are and he restores you and offers you a new and better savior. Think about it, it's all over the New Testament. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, not while we had it all together, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think about it like this. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. We call that kindness grace. And this church is always and forever will be about the grace of Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, we want to offer people real hope. We don't want to put band-aids on their sinking ship. We want to point them to a yacht. All right? Let's pray. Father, Father, Thank you for the grace that is ours in Jesus, Lord. God, I pray that people in this room would know and experience that grace, Lord. I pray that we would be quick to remind others of that grace, God. I pray that that would always be on the forefront of our mind and that as we, as we live as a community, as we reach out to one another, I pray that we wouldn't have this attitude of, hey, get it together, come see me when you're, when you're all set. But we would reach out to people, meet them in their messes and introduce them to Christ. Lord, we love your son. He's the reason we sing. So as we continue to lift our voices to you, hear our song as the redeemed, Lord. Lord, we love you. And we're looking forward to praising you. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.